are uh, here tonight, and uh, we want to welcome each one, especially if you're uh, visiting with us, you're an honored guest. We want you to come back anytime that you can. It's good to have a good crowd tonight. It looks like we've got an excellent number uh, in spite of the rain. At least it's not snow and cold, so that's good. But uh, thank you for coming, and we hope that you enjoy your Bible study tonight. I hope you picked up one of the bulletins as you came in. It has an updated list of those that are sick, and uh, please check that and uh, look at the other things that are there. We do want to express our sympathy to Drew Devon in the death of his grandmother, Lenova Johnson, uh, who was a former member here. Also, we want to express our sympathy to Catherine Floyd in the death of her brother, Charles Googe of Boonville. Uh, he it was also Sandra Gordon's uncle and Mary Rhodes' cousin, and that funeral was yesterday. We also want to extend our sympathy to Mickey Scott in the death of her sister, Wanda McDoodle, McDougal of Boonville. And we express our sympathy to Barbara Beard in the recent deaths of her sister-in-law, Clella Huddleston, and her niece, Wanda Nunley. Got several lads to leaders uh, points of emphasis that parents and young people need to pay attention to. Uh, last to leaders event deadlines are this Sunday, <clears throat> and they must be verified by Sunday. There's a table in the back of the foyer, and parents, parents are asked to go back there and look at that list and make sure that everything is correct and verify that uh, uh, by Sunday. Also, there's going to be a junior leader meeting in the little chapel immediately following worship. Uh, please bring a parent and come to this meeting before going to puppets. That'll be this Sunday's when that meeting will occur. And of course, puppets, all ages, will meet in the TAC following the morning worship. Lunch is provided. In regard to banner, please pick up your banner kit in the foyer. Follow instructions in the bag. C.D. Worley if you have any questions. Uh, debate on Sunday will be at 345 in the TAC. Bobble Bowl will be at 4 o'clock in the TAC. Also, uh, please note that half of the convention fee is due now. Uh, also, uh, in regard to CYC, uh, half of that money is due Sunday. That's $60, so please keep that in mind. Now, in another youth uh, event, aside from Lads to Leaders, we're going to be hosting that means we're the home church. They're coming to our house, and I hope we'll have our smiles on and our, our welcoming uh, face and uh, willing to shake hands and make everybody welcome. We'll be hosting the Youth Area-Wide Worship and Fellowship this Sunday uh, at 5 o'clock. There's lots of food needed, so please sign the list in the foyer to help, and there'll be no Bible classes this coming Sunday night. Also... The trip to Winona to help with world evangelism is this coming Friday. Anybody's welcome to go uh, to be a part of that. And the bus is going to leave around 8 o'clock. So we've got 18 or 19 already signed up. So if you could sign that list tonight, we would appreciate that. Also, everybody is invited to Merle Crow's 90th birthday party this coming Saturday, January the 27th from 2 until 4 in the tack. No gifts, please, but Merle told me that he's taking some cash. If you want to bring some of that along, he'd take that. And uh, then our men's breakfast is coming up. Please note that February the 5th. Put that on your calendar. For our devotional tonight, Brother Ken Scott's going to be leading our singing. Adam Carlson is going to lead our prayer, and Brother J.T. Beard will present our devotional thoughts. I put this up there so I wouldn't forget. The Foot Street Church of Christ is hosting a Bible teacher workshop. That's going to be this coming Saturday. And uh, I've got all the information here. It starts out at uh, 8.30 to 9, and it will conclude at noon. They're going to emphasize, you know, Bible teaching for adults as well as children. So if you want to be a part of that, at Foot Street, that's this coming Saturday. Marking hymn books to 907. 907. This will be a song of encouragement in a few minutes. 
You take your hymn book and turn to 415. I thought Doug was joking when uh, he, he told me I had the devotional tonight. My understanding was it was supposed to be in February, but I'll probably do just as well tonight as I would in February anyway. <laughs> I want to talk with you tonight about uh, your spiritual condition, my spiritual condition. Uh, a lot of the world uh, thinks, you know, as long as, or most of the world thinks as long as you're a pretty good person, don't kick your dog, and they're all right with the cat, uh, you're, you're going to be all right with God. But uh, we've all got uh, something in common, and that is sin. And sin's what separates man from God. Isaiah, the 59th chapter, verses 1 and 2, says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your sins and your iniquities have separated you, separated you from your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, so that he will not hear. So God, as long as we're living in sin, is not going to hear us. So if we want to be heard by God, we've got to, uh, to uh, get rid of sin. 1 John 3 and 4 says that sin is a transgression of God's law. Anytime that we cut across or break God's law, then we sin. How many have sinned? Romans 6 chapter said that we, says that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we've all got a problem, and the next question would be, what do we do about our sins? Well, you know, it's not a sin. A lot of people think it's a sin to be tempted, but it's not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin, though, when we give in to temptation. Everybody is tempted. We all have temptation. Some of them are some. Your temptation might not be the same as mine, but we're all tempted to do things that are not right. 
So when we yield to temptation, that leads to sin, and sin leads to death. Uh, for, uh, James, the first chapter, verses 14 and 15 said, Man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and deceived. And when temptation is, let me read that for you. can't remember it. James chapter 1, verses 14 15, if you want to turn there. Let's begin with 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted for God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So, Sin is what separates from God again, and that's what James is saying here in the, James, the first chapter. James 4 and verse 17 defines sin. It says, uh, there's, there's several def definitions of sin, but one that we don't think much about is, is what he said in James 4, 4, 17. If anyone knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. I think that's probably... Uh, the most prevalent sin among God's people today. It's probably my greatest shortcoming is I don't do a lot of things I know I should do and ought to do. But that is a sin. When we know that there's things that we should do, could do, and don't do, then God is not pleased with us. Romans 3rd chapter and verse 10 says there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. How many sins does it take to be separated from God? It only, it only takes one sin to be separated from God. So uh, how many sins do we commit and how often do we commit sins? That's something we all have to answer personally, you know. But we need to think about that. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, verse 9 and 10 says... Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So if we're sinning, we're not righteous. And if we're, we're sinning and we're unrighteous, then we're not going to be able to go to heaven and be with God. Matthew uh, 13, 40 through 42, if you want to turn there. I'm going to read that. Uh, Matthew 13, 40, 41, and 42. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and those and, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as a son in the kingdom of their father, who has ears to hear, let him hear. So there's going to be a judgment day, and uh, there's going to be a separation. And uh, if we're right with God, if we've taken care of the sins in our lives, then we don't have anything to worry about. But if we haven't, then we're going to be thrown into the fire that he was talking about there in Matthew 13, chapter. Jesus was talking to him. So uh, I would encourage you tonight, if you're a Christian and have sinned, you haven't been living like you should, I would invite you to take care of that tonight. If you've never become a Christian, the Bible tells us that we have to have faith in God. Before we can have faith in God, we have to hear about God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, God, the Word of God. We hear it, and then, of course, we're expected to believe it. And, and uh, Matthew 10, chapter, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, If you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. 
He goes ahead and says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. So we just, we don't have to say, I don't believe in Jesus to deny him. We just uh, have to refuse to do what he expects us to do and tells us to do. If you're here as a a non-Christian, the final step to confessing that you believe Jesus is the Son of God is baptism. There's a lot of confusion in the religious world today about whether a person needs to be baptized or not. But it's only in the watery grave of baptism we connect with the blood of Jesus Christ. And only the blood of Jesus Christ can take away our sins. So if you're subject to the gospel invitation in any way, if you let it be known as we stand and sing, we'll take care of that. Father, we again come. We thank you for this great privilege to be here, to be assembled for the purpose of further study of your word. And as we go about in these studies, help us to grow stronger in our faith and in our knowledge and to be more diligent. We thank you for all that are here this evening. We are mindful that there are those among us who, for various reasons, may not be with us. And whatever their circumstances, we ask you to be with and guide them. We know there are several among us that are struggling with their physical health. And whatever their ailments may be, we ask your care to be upon them and that they will be strengthened. We know there are others who may be struggling with their faith, we pray that they too will be strengthened and help us in whatever way it may be to minister to them as we have opportunity. As we go about our activities, we ask you to be with us and guide us in all things, and if it be your will, may we be able to meet again. And for these things we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. Same one verse of Jesus loves me as the teachers make their way to the classroom.
to thee, O Lord. I'm got a pair of fives i guess you got you know that's pretty good i don't know but anyhow uh, we'll meet next week and that'll be the concluding part of this lesson then we'll begin a new quarter our lesson tonight is about self-control if we want to live and have a meaningful life we have to practice just put them down right there it's fine we have to practice self-control you know somebody said that life is like a box of I guess there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, I think about a husband asked his wife, he said, when I get mad, you always remain calm. You never react. How do you maintain your self-control? And the wife said, well, I just go and I clean the toilet. Well, the husband said, well, how does that help? She said, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> so I guess whatever, whatever way you need to practice self-control, I guess that's what you need to do. You know, man, has great ability to control a lot of the powerful elements of this universe. You think back just over the last century, a uh, hundred years ago up until right now, man's accomplishments in this respect has been very impressive and has blessed the lives of many. Uh, over the past uh, several decades, man has learned to control various diseases that has claimed thousands, if not millions, in the past. You know, I think about St. Jude Hospital, you know, that treats cancer for children. In 1962, when St. Jude first opened, the survival rate was only 4%. But today, the survival rate is 94%. You see, man has done a lot to curb some of these terrible and awful diseases and cancer. And uh, you just think about all the diseases that we really don't have to worry about today because of the advances that we've made in medicine. Also, man has learned to control the devastating floods that have destroyed many lives and much property by controlling the great river systems with dams and through these dams hydroelectric power has been generated to supply homes and industry with this kind of energy you think about tennessee valley authority that we're all familiar with uh, it began in 1933 and you think about all the good that's been accomplished through tva not only in this area but all throughout the southeast you think about the economic growth that it has brought because of jobs and industry, in addition uh, to all the other things that it has accomplished through the control of hydroelectric power. You know, what was once a very destructive force in flooding now has become a great benefit to mankind. Uh, mankind's been able to, uh, to control atomic energy and turned uh, an awesome and destructive force into a power 
that's designed to make our lives more comfortable. And yet we could go on and on and we could talk about all kinds of accomplishments that man has had. And in spite of all these accomplishments and all these different areas, there's one area that the ability of mankind to exercise control has never been really effective. And the area under consideration that ought to be considered first because of its importance and because of its urgent need for attention, and we're speaking right now of man himself and you know the various appetites of the flesh that must be controlled, if his life upon this earth is going to have a meaningful existence and if he's gonna be pleasing to God, self-control is the key element to all that. There's no way a person can live and have a meaningful life unless that person exercises self-control in his life. And the areas of control uh, under consideration ought to be the first to be considered because of its great importance. Now, we recognize that in speaking of the need of man to practice self-control, we're talking about a need that is really diametrically opposed to most modern philosophies and most ways of life that people want to live today. Uh, many modern philosophies advocate and promote free expression rather than self-control. You just look at what's going on in our land today and, you know, 10 years ago, uh, we would be shocked if we saw what was happening today just 10 years later. You think about efforts to legalize recreational drugs. Who would have ever thought that that would even make it on the ballots of voters, much less pass? You know, a total lack of self-control just in areas like that. Uh, every day on the news, we see stories of various kinds that illustrate the lack of self-control that many people actually have. Others view the pleas to practice self-control as being an effort to, you know, place undue restraint on an individual to do his own thing or whatever makes him feel good. You know, the modern philosophy today is, is what? If it feels good, do it, right? If I want to do it, you know, who should keep me from that? Uh, I've heard some religious organizations even redefine sin as anything that would, might lower your self-esteem, you know, something like that. And so, you know, our world has gone amok because of the lack of self-control in the lives of people. It's all around us if we will just open up our eyes to it. And there can be no doubt in our minds concerning the teaching of the Bible relative to the need to practice self-control. You know, just a casual reader of the Bible encounters so much instruction that uh, impresses this important concept on our minds today. You know, think about Jesus. You know, Jesus is our perfect example, right? You know, we talk about footsteps of Jesus and we sing about footsteps of Jesus and we talk about following Jesus, where he leads, I will follow. Jesus practiced self-control in such a way as to leave a great example for all who follow him. Now you think about the self-control that our Lord exercised. For example, over in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 63, after our Lord was betrayed by Judas, after he had been taken by force, after he had been placed before Jewish leaders in the mockery of a trial, he, he endured three uh, mock trials, all that were, well, six mock trials, three by the Jews and three by the Romans, all of which were filled with illegalities. And instead of striking back at them, which would be a normal reaction, we find those amazing words, but Jesus held his peace. How in the world could a human being go through such unjust treatment, uncalled for treatment, and just hold his peace? But Jesus practiced self-control. In Matthew 27, 
verses 28 through 31, that just, the Bible describes the ordeal that Jesus uh, dealt with at the hands of the Romans. The scourging, the beating, the mockery. But he held his peace. Think about what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24. You know, Peter vividly described what Jesus endured. He described the manner in which he endured it as being an example for us to follow. You know, put ourselves in the place of Jesus here. Peter said about Jesus who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered... He threatened not, but committed himself to him who judgeth righteously. Now, if I were to put myself in this particular place, if I am reviled and I am persecuted, what's my natural reaction? What am I going to do? You ain't going to get away with this, you know. We forget that, you know, God is a God that exercised judgment in his own time. You know, we think retribution ought to come immediately when somebody commit some horrendous act, right? But God is the judge, and God will ultimately judge us all in regard to our sins. And, uh, you know, the Bible says he committed himself, that is, to God, who judges righteously. You know, we forget sometimes that, you know, God doesn't give out all the paychecks in this life, does he? There's a time of eternity coming. And a true judgment will one day be meted out to everyone. And we're warned and we're encouraged by that throughout the pages of Scripture. I think about Paul and how Paul practiced self-control in his life because he realized the necessity if that he was going to win the victory that was before him. Notice what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27. He said, but I keep under my body. I like it, buffet your body. You know, buffet, <laughs> buffet. You know, that, mean, that immediately brings self-control to some people, right? Who exercises self-control when they come to a buffet? Y'all know what that stands for, don't you? Big, ugly, fat folks eating together. That's what buffet stands for. You know, that, that's a place where you don't exercise self-control, right? You're there for a reason, aren't you? You know, if I know I'm going to a buffet, you know, I plan that event. I just don't show up. You know, I plan it throughout the day. I, I'm not going to eat much, through, or if anything, throughout the day because I know what's coming. You know, we, we, we kind of uh, view a buffet as being synonymous with, you know, all we can get into our stomachs, indulging, right? But Paul says, I, I buffet my body. That is, I exercise self-control. I do what it takes and bring it into subjection, lest by any means... When I preach to others, I myself should become a castaway. You know, Paul realized if he didn't exercise self-control, even though he preached the gospel, even though he was a servant of God, without practicing self-control himself, he himself could even become a castaway. And then notice how Paul uh, listed temperance or self-control as being one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and verse 23. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Can y'all name them? I hope you listen well enough to kids sing that you can name them. I hope you can sing the song too. But, you know, among those fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Uh, Peter, uh, when he talked about the qualities of the Christian graces, he listed temperance or self-control that has to be developed by every person who wants to make his calling and election sure. You know, Peter said, as long as you're in the process of adding these Christian graces, you'll never fall. Now, that doesn't teach the impossibility of apostasy. What it does teach is if I'm trying to incorporate these Christian graces to my life, as long as I'm in the process of doing those things, that is the greatest way to avoid becoming unfaithful to God. And self-control is listed. And then you think quickly about some of the terms uh, and words uh, used by various translations that have to do with self-control. The King James Version uses the word temperance. Uh, the ASV uses the word self-control. Other translations use the term self-restraint. 
So we know what those terms mean, don't we? We know what we're talking about when we talk about exercising self-control. Now, in emphasizing the need for self-control, I think we need to recognize this is one of the most difficult tasks that we have set before us in trying to live the Christian life. To control ourselves demands that we deprive ourselves of those things and those pleasures that sometimes we crave and desire and long for. And in doing so, we are compelled to demonstrate our control of various things. And we're going to talk about some of those things, and maybe we could add something to it as we go. The first thing I want to mention, we must control our thoughts if we're going to be successful in practicing self-control. Now, the mind is where everything begins, isn't it? The Bible says, the heart of the wise teacheth his mouth and adds learning to his lips. A taught mind, Proverbs 16, 23. Training the mind to exercise self-control, the wisdom of God that, that we uh, apply and learn and try to make sure that we practice those things in our lives. Proverbs 23 and verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It all begins in the mind. We must control our thoughts. That's why the psalmist prayed in Psalms 19 verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And then you think about Philippians 4 and verse 8, where uh, Paul said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of a good rapport, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, wouldn't our world be a different place if the thoughts of people dwelt on things that were honest and true and just and lovely and so forth? Wouldn't our world be a different place entirely if the thoughts of people were focused on those kinds of things? And certainly to practice self-control, we've got to begin where the process begins, and that is with our thoughts with our minds. Everything begins in the mind. If we can control our minds, then we're well on our way to controlling everything else. And so we need to control what we put in our minds. You know, the Bible talks about how that we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. The psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, it's in the mind, filling our heart with God's word. By doing that, then that is the key to helping us to avoid those things that are sinful and exercising the control we need to exercise. And then let me look at the next one. To practice self-control, we need to control our tongue. Somebody said one time, the tongue is in a wet place. We better watch it lest it slip. I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said one time, it's better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. Have you ever thought about how much destruction has been done in the lives of people because folks can't control their tongue? How many lives and families have been torn asunder by gossip and slander just because people can't keep their mouths shut. You know, the Bible talks about in the multitude of words, you know, there's going to be sin involved. And he that refraineth his lips is wise. Anybody that talks all the time is going to be involved in sin. You know, we probably know of folks that talk all the time, don't we? And so we need to control our tongue. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse... 11 says, but the younger widows refuse, and with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, 
but tattlers also and busybodies speaking things which they ought not. Do some of us need to learn to mind our own business sometimes? Now, I preach lessons and I preach sermons in the past about how we ought to be other person centered. And when somebody has a need, we need to be open to the opportunity that we have to encourage them. We don't need to be self-centered and self-focused, but we're not talking about that kind of idea. We're not talking about being concerned about uh, somebody's spiritual well-being. We're talking about being a busybody. We're talking about being nosy in the affairs of other people. And sometimes we just need to learn to mind our own business. And if we do that and exercise the control to do that, then we're going to be a lot happier. Then I love what James says about the destructive as well as the good of the power of the tongue. You know, James says in James 3 and verse 2, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and is able to bridle his whole body. You know, James says controlling the tongue is very, very important. Notice what he compares the tongue to. He says down in verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us. Now, that bit, right, is just a small gadget compared to the size of that large horse. Now, I can ride a horse. I've watched a lot of Bonanza and Gunsmoke, and I think I can just hop on one and gallop down the road, right? But, you know, those horses, if you've been around a horse before, and I've been around a horse or two in my time, they're large, aren't they? They're powerful animals. And yet, you could direct that animal any direction you want it to go because of that little bit that's put in the horse's mouth. James says the tongue is a small member of our body, but it boasts great things. He said, Behold also the ships, though they be so great, and are driven by fierce and mighty winds, and yet they're turned with a very small rudder. You think about those great ships and how those ships are controlled by the captain by that small rudder, so small in comparison to the size of that great ship. But because of that rudder, the captain can direct that ship in any direction that he wants it to go. And then James says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold, how great a fire, how great a little fire kindleth. Now, all of us know the destructive nature of fire, don't we? We see it on television. Uh, Jody's family uh, a few years ago was sort of threatened by some of these fires. It was kind of scary up in Northern California, uh, up toward uh, Red Bluff and the Redding area. Uh, fires destroyed thousands of acres. I don't know if you remember CNT. We kept up with it more, probably than most people here in the South. But there was videos that showed a fire NATO. Can you imagine a tornado that is fire? moving at the speed of a tornado, destroying everything. It's not just wind, it's fire. Uh, those winds out there can, and those fires can move across territory at 80 and 90 miles an hour, destroying everything in their way. And James says the tongue is like that fire. It is destructive. Now, you may speak words sometimes, but there's no way to reclaim them, is there? Once they're said. Uh, some man tried to teach a class one time about the power of words, and he brought a pillow with feathers in it, and he told somebody to take this pillow and, you know, uh, go outside and just let the feathers go. After 10 minutes, he said, well, go pick up all those feathers up. Could you do that? No. Especially not with some of the wind we've had lately. Well, our words are like that. He was trying to make the point. You may say some things, and you may try to take back what you said, but there's no way you can take back everything that you said. Once it's spoken, many times the damage has already been done. And so we need to think about the importance of practicing self-control when it comes to uh, our tongue and uh, the things that we say. Let me move on quickly. Uh, we also need to use self-control when it comes to our temper. Now, Sometimes folks have a difficult time controlling their temper. 
They really get mad. They fly off the handle. Temper is defined as a frame of mind. It's defined as a disposition, nature, as in a bad temper. You know, some people just have dispositions. You know, even as they grow up, uh, they have a very, you, as you have heard it said, a short temper, a short fuse. And you know of people that you've got to watch what you do and say around them, right? You know, they'll fly off the handle. Now, uh, James says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Uh, and the qualifications of elders that Paul gives in Timothy and Titus, uh, the importance of having a temper under control is very much emphasized. And Titus 1 and verse 7 says, For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not quick-tempered. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 3, Not given to wine, not a striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. And so, you know, an elder, one of the qualifications there specifically mentioned is being able to control his temper. And, uh, you know, we hear all kinds of ways in which people control their temper. Uh, someone suggested this to, to uh, husbands one time that, you know, before you say something you don't want to say back to your wife, go get a glass of water before you say anything, before you say what's on your mind, and take ten swallows. And then say it if you still want to. Uh, I guess he's trying to emphasize the fact we need to think a little bit before we speak, right? We need to think before we speak, and that's very, very important. So self-control in regard to our tempers is very important. It's also essential uh, to enjoy a meaningful life that we keep our desires under control. And we could spend an entire lesson talking about just this point. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 6, Paul said, Now all these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Talking about the children of Israel. They're given as an example to modern day Christians. Don't follow their example and give in to your lust and to your desires. Exercise self-control. And the accounts of the various uh, people that were Israelites throughout the uh, centuries illustrate their lack of ability to practice self-control. For example, in 1 Kings 21 verse 4, Ahab, king of Israel, uh, exercised covetousness toward Naboth's vineyard, right? And uh, he even consented to the murder of Naboth. Killed a man because he wanted his vineyard. He lusted after that, he desired it, and he took it. Uh, one of the most horrible things we read about in the New Testament is in 2 Samuel 11, 2 through 5. Uh, David uh, lusted after another man's wife, Bathsheba. And what did he do? He ultimately took part, and it's as if he did it with his own sword. He killed Uriah, right? Bathsheba's husband, so that he could have her. And, of course, he paid a great price for that. His family Paid a great price for that. In Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11, the Bible describes the lack of self-control in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. They had a desire, a keen desire, for the praise of their brethren. So what did they do? They lied to God about their giving. They sold a piece of land, and the proceeds that they received from that land, they took part of it for themselves, but they brought the rest of it and says, this is everything we got for our land. They lied to God. They didn't have to lie to God. They didn't have to give it all, did they? But they lied, you see, because they desired the praise of men. And we need to understand that in our efforts to control ourselves, we have to control our lust and desires. Now, we've got a big problem in our country today with uh, sexuality. I'm trying to see what time it is here. Good, we're good. Uh, with sexuality, everything, toothpaste, cars, whatever, sold by sex, right? Just look at some of the commercials that are on television today. Uh, I was listening, and I, I shouldn't bring this up. I don't really have time, but I'm going to do it. I was switching. There was the, uh, I think it was the nighttime Emmy Awards. Was that the acted and all? 
Uh, in between ball game, my, ball game I was watching and commercial, I switched over, and these two were talking about something, and I just left it there for a minute, and they said, we've made a lot of strides. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He said, in most every show now, we've been able to put LGBTQ people in the forefront, and uh, we've made a lot of accomplishments through that so far, and I, I've always been fierce. I, I'll watch a show, and it seems so good, and what do they do? They put an LGBTQ character or theme in there that has nothing to do with the story. Well, I knew that was intentional, but hearing these two prominent people talk about it made me know it's true. They've got an agenda, and they're trying to shove it down our throats, and they're doing a good job of it, right? Hollywood's trying to dictate what we see as normal, and whatever this generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. And that's what they're trying to do. And so, you know, the majority of people today, just, just just say normal dating, sexual relations is a part of a normal dating relationship. Our young people are fed that through television. It's just a part of it. And it is to be accepted, right, as a part of society. Well, that's not true. You know, that's why we gotta teach and impress upon our young people the need to be sexually pure. Uh, to abstain from those kinds of things, to avoid the kind of thinking that exists in our culture. But we have to exercise self-control. I know when I taught the teens uh, a year or so on morality and sexuality and so forth, we spent quite a bit of time talking about, you know, keeping yourself out of certain situations where you might lose self-control, and that's very important as well. And so self-control is important when it comes to keeping our desires under control. And then let me suggest quickly that we also need to keep our wills under control. And when I think about that, we think about what Jesus said when he prayed in the garden, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And to control our will demands that we willingly surrender our will to the will of God. You know, it's no longer, as Paul said, I who live, but what? Christ liveth in me. You know, when Paul looked in the mirror each day, he didn't see himself. He saw Jesus Christ. It was no longer him that took the number one place in his life. It was Jesus Christ that he would follow. Uh, and so that's how we have to come to be and exercise self-control in that way. All right, we've got about six minutes, and I want to quickly uh, talk about how we can demonstrate the, this kind of control in our own lives. And uh, this is a question we need to ask ourselves and answer. How can I exercise better self-control? Well, I don't think the answer is complicated, but here's a couple of things I think it's on your lesson sheet. First of all, we can only develop and practice this kind of self-control by planning and determining and purposing to do so. Now, I love the story of Daniel. It's a great lesson, especially for young people in Daniel 1 and verse 8. You know, how was, able, how was Daniel able to uh, not defile himself with the king's meat or the king's wine? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not do so. See, he didn't wait till he faced the situation. He had already determined beforehand what he was going to do. He had meditated upon what he would do in certain situations and in his purposing to practice self-control in this matter it's apparently Daniel it's apparent that Daniel knew what, what was at stake didn't he he knew what was up for grabs here and so he uh, did not participate in that because he purposed in his heart he also knew what he wanted and he was willing to pay the price needed in order to accomplish it it's like those great men or women of old like Abraham Abraham had a vision of that city, right? Not built with hands, you know, a, a builder that's God himself. How did he able to, how, how was he able, how was Moses able to 
uh, not give in to the lust of his day. And he made a decision. He chose to what? Suffer affliction with the people of God and to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, he had determined beforehand. He knew what he was going to do. We can also practice self-control and self-discipline if, uh, if we have a goal in our lives uh, to make sure that this is something that we're going to do. Uh, we have to determine, I'm going to practice self-discipline. Paul, Paul had to practice self-discipline, and so must we. He made a choice, and that choice was clear. He practiced self-discipline. He was determined to be pleasing to God, and he was going to deny himself of anything that might be wrong. He knew there was a choice. You can either be pleasing to God, or you can be rejected by God. And then let me close today quickly. A meaningful life requires that we be willing to pay the price, meet the conditions upon which that meaningful life is built. Self-control is absolutely necessary to control this. Self-control demands that we develop inner strength to withstand the forces of the devil that are seeking to destroy our souls. The Bible says, submit yourselves to God, James 4 and verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw near to you. That's a choice that we must make. I must resist the devil. God's also provided the source of strength and power that we need. And he's made that available to us. Think about this quickly. There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Remember that. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. That verse is comforting, isn't it? God's faithful. Other people have suffered and gone through what I'm currently going through. And he will make a way of escape if I put my faith and trust in him. And then Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The transformation of the mind that comes as a result of filling that mind with the word of God is the key to exercising self-control. All right, I want to thank you all for your attention. I appreciate it very much. Next week, we're going to talk about fear. If we're going to practice and have a meaningful life, We've got to overcome fear. I hope you'll plan to be here next week. Thank you. Oh, sorrow, no.